I want to encourage you, if you will, to take your copies of Scripture and turn to Exodus. I said it was simple enough. Exodus is what we have in our worship guide. And we are in Exodus. Admittedly, I have been distracted this morning, and that is my problem uh, and my fault. Um, and that when I have my mind set on something and it doesn't work out that way, then I get distracted in trying to figure out how to make it work when things are outside of my control. Uh, when there is no key, in our lockbox uh, at 3.30 in the morning and you're trying to get stuff in and you know that stuff needs to be set up by 9 o'clock and there's no key in the lockbox, well then it's outside of your control short of going to people's houses and knocking on people's doors at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, and you can imagine uh, what kind of results that would bring. So um, thankfully... Uh, there were some early risers. I said to myself, 6 o'clock, anybody that's anybody ought to be up at 6 o'clock. If they're not, it won't hurt them to get up. So I started calling people at 6 o'clock. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, Sean answered the telephone. Sean McMahon, many of you know him. He said, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. And uh, they had used our key yesterday, by the way, and had locked it up in here. Thus, we didn't have a key uh, to uh, to get. Um, Mike, I think, is taking care of that this afternoon, and that'll not be the case uh, in the future and moving forward. There will be more than one set of keys. Um, most of you uh, have a key hidden somewhere outside at your house, and we will, we thought we did too, but it was gone. So with the distraction, uh, I want us to begin uh, with prayer and ask God to, uh, at least for me right now, I need, to, I need to get over myself and need to get over the last several hours and, uh, and, uh, and we need this. Uh, let's pray together. Father, um, I am not surprised, uh, knowing me, that a disruption in a plan uh, has brought about uh, the distraction. Distraction from the things that I would normally give my attention to uh, in a certain order. Um, not sure that I have entirely learned uh, the lesson that you have for me in all of this, but I hope too soon. Because you know even the disturbance that is within me even now. Uh, but I ask you, Father, that you will 
speak through your word. And if you can use me in that, do. If not, your spirit is certainly able to when your word is read and pointed to to direct the truth of that word to our hearts. And we need to hear those. We need to hear your word today. Uh, will you help us in that? And, and help me in that. In Christ's name, amen. Last week, we closed uh, in chapter 3, uh, having considered a few implications of this name, I am, uh, this self-proclaimed name that God gave to Moses, uh, a self-definition of himself. Booney pointed to it earlier. God didn't leave it up to Moses to say, hey, you just, you name me. You need a name, you get the name. You need to know how to explain what happened here at the burning bush. You figure it out. You go explain it. You define me. You tell people who you think I am and, and what you think I am. And that is not what he did. God doesn't do that. Uh, his whole word is a revelation to us about who he is. And so we do not have the right, as we mentioned last week, we do not have the right to define God uh, in our own terms. Uh, and we don't have the right to name him. Uh, we do have the responsibility to hear what he has to say, to take that with as little or as much understanding as we may have at the moment, and to take it and believe it because it's true. And so we see that he had this self-proclaimed name, self-defining name that he gives to Moses uh, to further reveal himself to Moses, but it doesn't just stop there. It's not just for Moses. Moses has asked this question so that he knows what to tell Israel. So Israel is a player in this, this group of people that he is about uh, to free. Uh, but there was someone else here in the picture that uh, needed to know who he was. Uh, and this person is Pharaoh. We said that God did not allow Moses to name him or he didn't leave it to Moses to define or explain him. So when God said, I am, he was saying, I am the only self-determining being. The only self-determining being. Uh, no one was going to determine who he was. He was going to determine who he is because he is self-determining. Um, he's self-existent. In fact, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Godhead are the only self-existent persons. We are not that. We do not exist in and of ourselves. I think we know that. We have not made ourselves. We don't create ourselves. We don't create anyone. Uh, we are not self-existent. In fact, we say again that this triune Godhead that we uh, sang to earlier as we sang the doxology uh, are the only self-existent ones. Every other person, every other living being, every other celestial being, think about this a moment, every other celestial being 
Every inanimate object derives its existence from God. There's not a rock. There's not a stone. There is nothing that derives its existence apart from God. Every grain of sand, every seashell, every every blade of grass, every nut, every leaf, every tree derives its existence from God. Think about that. Think about it. Everything. The third thing that we saw was that God was communicating that He was an unchanging God. We sang about that just a moment ago, but James wrote, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, through whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, there is nothing that is going to, there is nothing that has ever changed God. He is the only unchanging being. And the author of Hebrews wrote it this way, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And then we said that God in and of Himself is all reality. When He said, I am, He is all reality. All reality is found in Him. There's no reality apart from Him. The only real thing is Him. And then all of reality flows from Him. We don't determine our own reality. God defines what reality is by His own person, by His own character, by His existence, by His nature, by who He is. And with that comes that He is all truth. And all of that should make sense to us. At least to some degree should make sense. He created everything. So that which is real, that which is true, derives from Him, grounded in Him. All that He says, all that He does is true. So in Him, we have the grounding of all objectivity. Hear that again. In Him, we have the grounding for all objectivity. I didn't say subjectivity. I said all objectivity. All of this was going to be important to Moses. And all of this was going to be important to Israel. And all of this is important to us today. And all of this was going to be extremely, extremely important to Pharaoh. And then in the end, we said so far it is clear that God is a God of grace. And He is a covenant God and He's a God of compassion. And we're going to draw a distinction over the course of the next few weeks between compassion and grace. But nevertheless, uh, we have said those three things about Him. And He is revealing Himself in this manner, which compels us to push deeper into the text for the basis of evaluating something that is incredibly crucial in the Exodus. And that which is crucial is the conflict. There is a conflict that God Himself said exists. And that conflict, you might wonder, or you might guess, is the resistance that Pharaoh will put forth 
when Moses seeks to negotiate Israel's release. The Lord tells Moses of this ordained resistance even before he leaves for Egypt. If you will, look in chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, and he hasn't left yet, but he says, when you go back, see that you do See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart. Therein is the conflict. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Pretty matter of fact. But he said, I am going to harden his heart and he is not going to let them go. There is going to be resistance. Going to be resistance. I want you to look uh, in chapter Look in chapter 9. We're going to, you're going to wonder how are we going how, how to deal with this. And I'll, I'll share with you in just a moment how we're going to deal with this. But I want you to look in chapter 9 and I want you to look in verse 16. They're at the seventh plague, by the way. There were ten. Uh, the tenth being uh, the death angel passing over. Uh, Nine catastrophic events. Ten, but nine before the tenth one. But at the seventh one, we hear this beginning in verse 15. For by now I could have put, this is God speaking to Pharaoh. He said, I could have put my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that, by, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. If you underline in your Bibles, that is a key verse of Scripture. And the reason that we know that it is key is if you'll take your Bibles and you'll turn over to Romans chapter 9... Romans chapter 9, Holy Spirit brings this back to Paul in Romans chapter 9. And in Paul's argument for helping people understand who God is and how God works, uh, he says this in verse 14. Well, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In other words, we're going to come back to this in just a moment, but God's going to show mercy to whom He shows mercy. Blanket statement. He's not going to show mercy to whom He's not going to show mercy. It's a decision that God makes. Because God is righteous, He's good, He's self-existent, He's self-defining. All of this is because of who He is. 
says, uh, is there injustice on God's part? Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, this is back to the text we just read, and then this is, this, is, this is the answer that Paul gives. For this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. I want to make mention of that this morning as we begin, because what we want to do, we are going to look at the blanket piece of text here with the plagues, with the exception of the ten. Okay? So I just want you to follow along. We'll just scan, scan through. What I want us to hear is this ongoing hardening that is taking place here that in times we hear Pharaoh hardened his heart and at other times God hardened his heart but all along the way his heart is being hardened because God has already providentially declared that his heart will be hardened and that he will resist God and he will push against God an unmovable force so that God will show his power and that his name, the name of God, will be proclaimed through all the earth. Now, why is that important for us? That is important for us because we are seeing again, and I will say this, in the Exodus, we are seeing the picture of God's overall redemptive work for all of time in history. He is giving us a snapshot of it in a brief period of time so that we can see how he works why he works, the way he works, his intent in working, he is showing us that so that from that point on, we and Israel and everyone else can look at this snapshot and know what he is doing through the course of world history in his work of redemption. You may be wondering, we've been spending time dealing with the name of God, and you noticed even this morning that we went from the prophecy in Isaiah that is said this about who God is and that every knee will bow to God to going to the Holy, which the Holy Spirit gave that to Isaiah, by the way. And then, fast-forwarding hundreds of years later, where the proclamation is given again by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul that this is being accomplished in Jesus Christ. And that is the reason that you heard us exalt the name of Yahweh and then we exalt the name of Christ because we understand that this redemptive work that God is showing us and displaying to us in Exodus is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And we are post-resurrection. That is, we have had given 
to us the proclamation of the name of Jesus. And we know who He is. And we know why He was given. And we know the work that He has done. And we know the impact that that work ultimately makes in the course of history. And there is no other revelation coming regarding God because God has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And He has shown us His redemptive work. And we have an opportunity now in Exodus to see what that looks like and why it's important. And here's why we want to concentrate today on that resistance because we face resistance. We face resistance. The church face, faces resistance. You face resistance in proclaiming the gospel. You face resistance with your co-workers. There was resistance dealt with yesterday as our ladies gathered with those who were unchurched some and, and, and unbelievers. And while in ways there was a kindness and smile and courtesy and care and even some thanksgiving, all of that being brought on by the common grace of God in their lives, there was a resistance there just like there is every time the Word of God is proclaimed just like it is every week when we are here, even for those of us who are loving and kind and we are friends, if we have not professed Christ, there is a resistance that is there and that resistance is there so that we will understand the power of God as He works out His power in judgment at the end, so that His name will be proclaimed throughout the world. So if we are thinking that the proclamation of God's name and the proclamation of Jesus' name is not significant, understand that even here we recognize that God has raised up a seed of Satan a seed of Satan, Pharaoh, and God has hardened his heart and he takes his hands off of him and allows him to continue down this hardened path so that the more he resists God, the more God pours his power on him to reveal to him and to reveal to the rest of the world that I am going to to judge sin, and I am going to redeem those that I'm going to redeem, and I am going to show mercy to whom I'm going to show mercy, and I'm going to show grace to whom I'm going to show grace for the glory of my name. Now where do we find that? Fast forward in Exodus. And we generally deal with things normally kind of in sequence and order, we will come back to this text. This is not our last treatment of this text, but turn to Exodus chapter 33. This is important because if we don't get this, we're not going to understand what's happening with Pharaoh. And, and we're going to 
write these plagues off. Oh man, man, the flies were bad. Man, if the flies had been that bad, I, I, I'd have given in. Oh, what? The, the gnats were bad. Man, if, if the gnats had been that bad, I'd have just given in. And, and that's kind of our attitude when we are working through those things. And, and, and that is not at all the attitude of Pharaoh. It's not at all the attitude of Pharaoh. Now, fast forward a few weeks, a few months. Israel has been delivered, has crossed the Red Sea, had gone to Sinai. Moses had been summoned to come up on the mountain to receive a declaration of God's law that God wrote out with his own finger on tablets of stone. And before he sends Moses back down, he reminds Moses, now you, Moses, you're getting ready to go down there and you're not going to find what you think you're going to find. Because you're going to find the people that I have delivered who have already broken these laws and these commandments. They have already made a graven image and they are at the base of this mountain and they're worshiping this golden calf. Now can you imagine that? All of this happening. And your brother has led in the charge the very one that Remember, we looked at last week, the very one that I had said that you were going to be as God to Pharaoh, and he was going to be, your brother Aaron is going to be as a prophet to you, and you're going to speak to him my words, and then Aaron is going to speak those words as a prophet to Pharaoh. And all of that took place. But this same brother now has, has uh, acquiesced under pressure, has acquiesced, and he's actually helped them make this golden calf. And so Moses goes down, and that's exactly what he finds. Uh, and it is a, I, I think, I, I don't think this is too light of a word. There is this horrific situation there as it relates to God, because God has shown himself to be holy, as we sang and has shown himself to be great and powerful as we have seen. And he has delivered these people, and he has fed them, and he has watered them, and he has given them his law, and he's shown them his presence, and he is doing everything to shape them as he does us, to shape them to be his people. And this is their response. If you'll read on there in chapters 32 and 33, you find that uh, God said He's going to strike them down. And, and Moses stands in the gap form and intercedes for them and even says, said, use these kinds of words. He said, I'm going to see if I can atone for you. In other words, I'm going to stand in the gap. And then when God said he's going to strike him down, Moses begs and pleads for him and said, no. He said, if you're going to do that, just wipe my name away. Give them life and wipe my name away. In other words, just do away with me. And in the course of that, we see that in verse 12 of chapter 33, uh, Moses said to the Lord, see, uh, you say to me, uh, bring up this people, uh, but you not let me know whom you will send with me. 
yet you have said, I, I know you by name. And he's recalling, he's, he's calling back that you, I, I'm, I'm going to show you my name. Uh, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. All along the way, Moses is pushing to know God. He's pushing to know God. God is revealing Himself to him. And he said, I, I, need, to, I need to know you, God. Consider also that this nation is your people. And he said, my, and God said, my presence will go with you uh, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will go with me, uh, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? Or as he said, I need you to go with us so that we are distinct. And this, is, this point of being distinct is that God, through the plagues we will see, draws a distinction between Israel and Egypt along the way. He said, I, I, it is not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I'll do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. And this is where the name comes up again. This is the reason we're here in this text. My name Yahweh. This is my personal name, Yahweh. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Okay? Now back, back up. Back all the way back up to chapter Seven. Chapter 7 in verse 3, God said, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Okay? Don't you see that? Alright? Look in verse 14. First plague comes. Waters turned to blood, and the Lord said to, Mo to Moses, uh, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. And go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water, and you stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and, and take in your hand the staff uh, that turned into a serpent, and, and you shall say to him, uh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. Uh, but so far, you, you've not obeyed. And thus says the Lord, By this you will know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it will turn into blood. And the fish in the Nile shall die, 
and the Nile, Nile will stink, and Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. And then we see uh, in verse 23, uh, Pharaoh turned after all of this took place, and he went into his house, and he didn't even take it to heart. Paid no attention to it. His heart is hardened. So, what does God do? Well, then uh, God brings on the second plague. Frogs. Say, so, well, that'd be great, man. We can eat. We can eat frog legs. Not this many. You can't. Not this many. <laughs> you can get too much of a good thing. Okay. So then the Lord said to Moses, chapter eight and verse one: Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord: Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I, I'll plague all of your country with frogs, and the Nile will swarm with frogs. That shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. And the frog shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. Then in verse 8, after this had happened, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I'll let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people uh, that the frogs be cut off from you in your houses and it be left. And then in verse 16, notice what happens when that takes place. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a was respite. When God had backed off from the frogs, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them. And the Lord said. And then there is the third plague, and that is the plague of gnats. And then look, if you will, in verse 19. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He continues to resist God. He continues to put up this front against God to push back against the authority of God. And all of this is being laid out and revealed to him. And not only is he suffering, but all of his people are suffering and the nation is suffering. And then we see, beginning in verse 20, there is the fourth plague, and that is the flies. And then after the gnats, we have these swarms of flies coming. But then we see in verse 32, But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. And then we see this, the disease of the livestock. And if you can imagine, uh, just all of the livestock of Egypt die. That are the Egyptians' livestock. Here, God draws a distinction. He doesn't kill the livestock of where Israel is. That's not they're in Goshen, where they're working and what they have going on. It's just there in this immediate area, every other place. But we see in verse 7, But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. 
And then we see in verse 12, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord spoke to Moses. This was after he had plagued them with bulls. And we hear this over and over again. And we read just a moment ago in verse 15, and he said, and, uh, But by now, I, I would have just, I, I just wiped you away with pestilence and cut you off from the face of the earth. In other words, that's what you deserve. That, that, that's your response to me. This is what should have happened. But for this purpose, I've raised you up. I have raised you up to suffer, and I have raised you up to be hard and stiff-necked, and I have raised you up to push against me to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Look in verse 34 of chapter 9. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again. This was after the seventh plague. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go. And we're all saying, man, come to your senses. Come to your senses. Stop pushing against the, this unmovable God, this unchangeable God. And it's interesting that when we get to chapter 10, uh, others are realizing that as well. Verse 3, And Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, uh, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Uh, let my people go. Let my people go. Back up in verse 1, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, go in, and, and he said, I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, that they may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians. In other words, all of this is for testimony so that those who come later will know who God is. They'll know who God is. And this was going along. And then Pharaoh's servants in verse 7 said to him, How long are you going to let this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Now everybody else is seeing it but Pharaoh. They're, they're, they're speaking to him and saying, Pharaoh, don't you see what's happening here? We are ruined. And you continue to push against this God. Let them go. Just let them go. But his heart is hardened. And in verse 20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then in verse 21, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness to be felt. Darkness to be felt. Even when you read that word, there is a sense of feeling that darkness. A darkness is felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a pitch darkness 
in all the land of Egypt for three days. Now catch this, this description. They didn't see one another. So, well, well, they had oil lamps and candles and those kinds of things. Yeah, they did. But there was nothing that would pierce this darkness. Not an oil lamp. Not a Coleman uh, flashlight or ever-ready flashlight. Not an LED light. Nothing would pierce this darkness. And they sat there for three whole days and never saw the face of the person that was in the room with them because nothing they had would pierce that darkness. And they didn't see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all of the people of Israel had light where they lived. He drew this distinction. And then in verse 27, we hear again, what? But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now why, why look at this text, stress that. We do that in light of who God is. And He is, as He described Himself, to be self-existent, to be self-sufficient. And then look again in chapter 33. I want you to hear those words again. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. Yahweh. And what does that mean? What is that going to look like? I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, which implies what? Only those whom I am gracious to will grace be shown, and only those whom I am merciful toward will mercy be shown. Now go back to Romans chapter 9. Why is that significant? Why reach back to that moment when God is revealing Himself to Moses. And He is speaking there regarding He will be merciful to Israel because He has chosen to be merciful to Israel. And He is going to be gracious to Israel because He has chosen to be gracious to him. He is not going to be merciful to Pharaoh. But in fact, He has done the opposite. He says, for this very purpose, there in verse 17 of chapter 9, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you. In what way? In suffering and destruction. That my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then Paul writes, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he also does what? He hardens whomever he wills. Why is that important for us today? It's important for us so that we can come to know the God 
of the Bible. The Exodus is there for us to see how God works redemption on whom He redeems and whom He does this work of redemption and the extent to which He will go in all of life and history to show His glory, to show His righteousness, to show His power. We cannot define God. God defines God. And we cannot form and fashion in our minds an idea of God just because it makes us feel good about who God is. And yet we look at who God has revealed Himself to be and His power and His righteousness, and He is a God of mercy and grace. But He is also a God who hardens for the sake of showing the magnitude of the power of that grace and that mercy. Why is that significant for us today? It's significant for us today because we see that it was given steeped with an understanding of global missions. Steeped with an understanding that His name would be proclaimed throughout all the world. And you know what's interesting? That's exactly what happened. Turn over with me to Joshua Turn to Joshua. It's the end of, it's the sixth book of the Bible. Okay, Deuteronomy, the fifth. In chapter two. Now, this is at the end of the 40 years of wilderness experience of Israel. Moses has died. That whole generation that was 20 years old and older that came out, they had all died. That whole group had died. It had been buried. I mean, that, that 40 years was, a, was, was 40 years of burying people. I mean, it was an undertaker's dream. I mean, just whole generation. Okay? But when they do go in and cross the Jordan River... They go to the city of Jericho. And I want you to hear what, 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 what happens here. Beginning in verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Chittim as spies, saying, and go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and had hidden them. And she said, True, the, the, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I, I, I don't know where the men went. 
Pursue them quickly for you'll overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. And so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said, said this to the men. I want you to hear this. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and to Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Why? Because He had hardened the heart of Pharaoh and had initiated that resistance. And Pharaoh was responsible for every bit of it because he acted in his own sinfulness. But he did it that the power of God might be displayed so that the name of the Lord would be proclaimed throughout all the earth. The resistance that we meet is a good thing. Know that it is ordained by God. Take it in stride, church. Take it in stride and be thankful for it. And the harder the resistance is, be even more grateful for it. And the harder it falls upon you, that is a good thing. It's a good thing. Because it shows the power of God at work in drawing a distinction between those who are being judged and those ultimately who are being given life and it holds up the glory of God in the face of this world so that people will know the power and the might and the grace and the mercy of God. Let's pray together. Father, you've defined yourself and you've told us who you are. We find ourselves acting a whole lot like Israel and not wanting to follow you and complaining. And then we find ourselves a whole lot like Pharaoh at times, just pushing back against you. Father, we see today the, the, the foolishness of that effort and the foolishness of resisting you even as your people. 
But Father, would you work in our lives in such a way even now that we would relinquish and get, get away from ourselves and look to you that your honor and your glory might be displayed through our living. It might be displayed through the ministries of this church. It might be displayed just through our walking alongside of the people in our community so that they will see and know your power. Father, you have made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and you have drawn a distinction between us, and we are grateful for that. Father, most of us can confess today that our lives a lot of times just don't look too priestly. And I ask you today that you would work in our lives. That you would shape us into the people that you have called us to be. That we would bring honor and glory to you. That your name might be proclaimed throughout all the world. And that people would turn to you. And that their hearts would melt. As the citizens of Jericho's hearts melted. And as Rahab's heart melted and softened toward you in Christ's name, amen.